0: Welcome to And The Writer Is with Ross Golan. There are millions of singers, thousands of artists, and only 40 songs per genre at a time. These are the stories of the hottest creatives, the most venerable legends, artists, songwriters, executives, and more. Follow our socials and share your music with the And The Writer Is community. We'll see you all there. And now, here's this week's episode. Hey guys, I'm excited to say a few words about one of today's sponsors, Seeker Music. Seeker was founded and is run by one of my very dear friends, and repeat guest on And the Writer is, Evan Bogart. Evan is an advocate for songwriters. He is in charge of the songwriter wing of the Grammys. He's a trustee for the Grammys. He's just a good person. And so that kind of community and culture is what Seeker is based on. They acquire only the best catalogs and sign only the best humans. That's the kind of person Evan is in real life, and that's the kind of person that runs Seeker. So I recommend you go follow Seeker on all their social media sites, but go follow Evan, too, and let them know how much you appreciate Evan's work. Because of him, we have Songwriter of the Year. Because of him, we have Songwriter's added to the album of the year for the Grammys. And now he's got his publishing company that is a wonderful sponsor for our podcast. So thank you again, Seeker, and go check them out now. Hey guys, there's a cool company called Sound Royalties that was founded about 10 years ago. They provide funding for music creatives without ever taking ownership of their copyrights. So think about it. It's like a bank, but they don't actually own any of your copyrights. All they need to do is see that you have a royalty stream. They don't need personal guarantees, collateral, financial statements, or credit checks. They work alongside publishers and labels, distributors, and PROs. They don't replace them. Again, all they need to know is that you have a royalty stream of at least $5,000 in a year, whether it's from mechanical performance, digital streaming sync, whatever it is. If you're interested in finding out more about Sound Royalties, call eight four 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 4 all music That's right. It's eight four 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 4 all music to get started with Sound Royalties call them today. BMI is the champion of the creator, supporting songwriters and making sure you get paid for your creative work. More than that, BMI has an incredible team that helps guide and develop songwriters, shows you how to navigate the industry, plus provides invaluable opportunities on stages and at festivals. Bottom line, They help you with your career at all levels from those just starting out to the biggest hit makers, just like they helped me out when I was just starting out and how they still help me out today. You can learn more at BMI.com. Welcome to And the Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. Today's record-breaking country superstar cruised into Nashville's elite. He has cemented his name in the biz with his 20 number one songs, not 19. 20 including some of the biggest boot stomping anthems of all time. His old band's first single stayed at number ones in the number 1 spot on the Hot Country Songs chart for an impressive 24 weeks, but of course he later smashed the record with 50 weeks with yet another hit. Only a few years later, he's received every country award you can think of, AMAs, CMAs, Billboard Awards, but don't pigeonhole this guy. He's a genre bending songsmith. Sure, he's collaborated with country stars like Tim McGraw, Luke Bryan, and our friend Thomas Rett, but it's his collabs with legends like Nelly and, and the writer is alum, alum BB Rexa that showed his ability to stretch, proving his understanding that it doesn't matter, regardless what your background is, he can connect with you. Recently, he stepped into the limelight himself as he ventures into a new solo career. He's already rung the bell with that, of course, and originally from Monroe, Georgia. This writer is a family man first, and that's what makes a Southern man a real star. And the writer is Tyler Hubbard. What's up, buddy?
1: Hi. Man, what an intro. Thank you.
0: You know, I'd be lying. Like, oh. like I had a, like a few typos, and it really makes you like rack your brain. You are trying to be like, ah, <laughs> oh, you know, I am like the guy from uh, what is what's a uh, uh, um, Anchorman? You know, Where oh. it's like you change the word just a little bit. I'm, I lose my mind. He's reading
1: the teleprompter, baby.
0: Exactly. Uh, so uh, we, I was saying in there, uh, the impromptu part is that you just had your twentieth number one song, and yeah. and it's weird because if you have nineteen it sounds like you're a teenager and then you have a 20 and you're like, you're in your 20s. Right. Do you feel different about your 20th? I mean, that's a kind of loaded question because I know you do for what it is, but do you feel different? Yeah, I mean, I would
1: say for sure, you know. Um, I remember thinking, man, I really wish I could get to the to the, uh, the number 20 with when when we knew that our, this is our last record, this is probably going to be our last single, and it'd be really nice if it was 20 and not 19 because something with... Something about just ending with teen. You're right. It's just like, ah, you know, it's a little bit it's in the teen still. So yeah, yeah it feels good. And then it was, you know, extra special that my first number one as a solo artist was my twentieth and kinda just felt like a, a really cool start to a new season and, and uh you know, it's the uh, it's the season of twenties, so let's go. We'll keep I rocking. mean, we'll
0: get we'll get into that, but it went platinum this week, right? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, dude, congratulations. Thanks, man. That's like it's a whole other thing. It's been it? rocking. Yeah. yeah. It feels
1: really good. Yeah. It feels really good.
0: All right, well, let's let's start from the beginning. Uh, you were born in Monroe, Georgia, or is it Monroe, Georgia?
1: I said Monroe, yeah, okay. growing up, yeah.
0: Okay, what is Monroe, Georgia like? Where is uh, it on the map of Georgia?
1: I haven't been back in years, so I'd, I'd hate to uh, not do it credit. I hear it's amazing now, and they've really built up to something kind of cool and got a lot of character. But when I was growing up in Monroe, it was super small little farm town, and I actually lived even further out in a little, little, uh, I guess, suburb of Monroe, if that's even possible, it's called Good Hope, uh, okay. just a little one light, uh, little general store, four-way stop town, and, uh, it was great, you know, just grew up in the country, um, kind of, kind of living that life, and, um, really, really thankful, worked hard, played sports, um, rode dirt bikes, you know, grew up just being outside and playing, and, um, Living in, in living that country kind of life, you know. Um.
0: Yeah, it's hard because I'm an '80s baby too, and there's this weird truth about, you know, I don't want to get all nostalgic, uh, you know. When we were in the '80s, there were movies about the '50s, you know, and you'd see these kids riding bikes outside, and that really wasn't a huge difference from what we grew up with. Right, where it's like. My parents, I still remember the first TVs that we had were still like clicking through knobs, which you probably don't, but yeah. like it no, was I sort of it. before like a basic cable, right? You know, and and it's that life of riding dirt bikes outside is not so different from our parents, but our kids are growing up in a whole other thing. Do your kids get out of the house?
1: Yeah. They, fortunately, they're not really big on, uh, technology yet, you know, we really, we keep it to a minimum. Actually, I should be really honest. We keep it as a very strong manipulation tool. And if you give it to them all the time, it's not as special. So we give it to them when they're on an airplane or, and I'm talking about an iPad, when they're on the airplane or when they're sick, because then they they can stay in their room and wash their iPad and it gets, it keeps the the germs uh, in their room. So, so yeah, we still use that as as that. And they're not huge TV watchers. They love to play, but they're also... Similar in age. So I think they push each other. Let's go outside. Let's play. Let's, yeah. uh, let's, you know, go to the playroom and build a fort or something like that. And it is pretty neat. It's been cool to kind of like get to relive my childhood a little bit through, uh, just watching them, you know, be kids. And, uh, yeah, you were one of three it. also. Yeah, but I, I had a younger brother that was similar in age, uh, two years younger than me. And then my sister was 14 years younger. So oh, wow. I was basically just oh, yeah, like, yeah. uh, basically grew up with just a brother and so but yeah very similar you know you're just living life everything's great and uh you see everything with such excitement and and cool energy and um i don't know it's just really fun to to be in this season of life and watching those kids grow up
0: your uh um tell me about your childhood when it comes to music like who played music in the house when you're in the suburbs of monroe like where are you learning anything about music uh mainly my walkman.
1: Uh, my mom did, we had a piano in the house. My mom could read music and played piano in church when I was real young and even before I was around. And so there was a little bit of music in the family, but for the most part, we weren't a very musical family. Um, most of my memories as a child, music related is just in the car, man, road trips. We'd listen to the radio every morning on the way to school, country radio. And so, uh, so I have a lot of memories there, but, um, you know, I didn't pick up the guitar until fourth grade, and then after fourth, I took, like, three guitar lessons and quit till like, seventh grade. And then it was like, oh, the girls think it's cool when the guys play guitar, and, like, not many guys are playing guitar, so I want to play guitar. And so I picked it back up in middle school and uh, kind of fell in love with music through church. So that was a lot of my, that was my first sort of introduction into the power of music. You know, I would say it was sort of my, my portal, my you know, one of the ways I communicated with God and just felt close to Him. So it was very, like, impactful in my life. And, and so I fell in love with music, I would say, in church and around the middle school age. So, yeah, my early childhood is very much not really musically. Uh, I remember somebody saying
0: to me early on where it's like, when you go to a concert and you see somebody with a microphone, If if you didn't speak the language... And you were anywhere else in the world, if you saw everyone lifting up their arms singing along back with the person with the microphone, you'd be like, Oh, we're in a church. You know, to the experience of, I mean, somewhere like the Ryman, you know, where it's like clearly was, you know, a spiritual place and it's still a spiritual place, but different, you know, the idea of what you do has always been in that that role of sort of worship in a way. Do you f- still feel connected spiritually while you're performing currently? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah,
1: I would say so. You know, we've always had an ongoing joke, and there's there's some truth to it, but, you know, growing up in church and, and learning how to be on stage and play guitar and sing and lead a crowd in church was super... Um, you know, inspiring and pivotal to me learning and doing what I do now. And we've always said, if you can lead a group to worship, you can lead a group to party for That's sure. Really funny. And so, I like that. and so, yeah. I mean, um, but even now, you know, it's really, it's really fun. Especially now as a solo artist, to get to really tell my story through the show and play some songs that are, um, you know, I guess more on the head as far as like almost a worship song to an extent. So my show is really a journey now from talking about. Talking about bars to church to God to to beer, you know, it's just uh, and it's just it's a fun it's a fun journey and it's it's who I am and it's it's what I love and now I get to just kind of showcase that
0: through my music. When you were in seventh grade and you picked up a guitar again, one, why did you pick it up again, and did you immediately start writing music? You know, I think
1: part of it was what you just mentioned. I mean, I remember having moments where I'd be at church or. at a, at a church event of some sort and I would see, you know, a band playing and everybody singing and just like, man, this is a really powerful uh, experience with bringing people together and like, man, I kind of want to be on that stage and I want to I learn to play guitar and like how cool would it be to be able to, you know, be one of those people on stage? And so I think I just got fascinated by it and, and uh, also started to just love music, you know, even Country music on the radio and all the things. And I remember, you know, a lot of my first songs I learned was like Chris Thomas songs and Tim McGraw. So it was very, you know, very church influence, very country music influence at the time. And uh and so yeah, I picked up guitar just um just because I I was fascinated by the by the concept of music and I knew, man, I need a tool. I need something to play and and I did enjoy at the time I was uh hanging out with some buddies and we would get together on, at the time, whatever software program. I think it was called Acid, to be honest, if you remember that. And like in seventh grade, and we'd make beats and like make raps and and sing hooks and stuff like that. So I was already getting into like, oh, man, this is fun, like just creating music, like writing songs and stuff. So between church and then, you know, hanging out with them and kind of getting creative, I really started to find a passion um, behind, you know, playing, leading, and writing at the same time.
0: You said rapping, and clearly your music has influences from all kinds of music, but you were listening to country music in the car with your family. Who's introducing you to the music outside of country music?
1: Um, everywhere else I was listening to music. You know? Yeah, right. Anytime I was by myself, I was listening to uh, Dr. Dre, Eminem, Juvenile, Lil Wayne. Yeah. Uh, that was what we grow- grew up listening to. Um, Country and rap music—that was basically it. I did listen to rock as well for a little while, um, especially when I was working out, stuff like that. I loved some of the rock stuff um, in the dirt bike world. Everybody loved rock music, so um, so yeah, I was pretty. My influences are pretty diverse, but hip hop still ha- has a huge Im- you know impact on.
0: Yeah, totally. Even
1: what I'm listening to today, is mainly rap music.
0: When you. Um... Wait before I go on. Who do, who are you listening to now? If you say mainly rap music, I can't get off Jack Harlow right now. Oh, I know.
1: yeah, I love him. Does he know that? Not unless he's heard an interview, but
0: I don't think so. Uh, oh yeah, we could probably connect some dots. Yeah, if you know him. Yeah, uh, Holler at uh, him for me. I will. Up, Jack. Uh, shout out, Jack. Okay, so um, yeah, so Okay, so we're back in in in. You know, you're now writing with some friends. You're realizing this is pretty fun. When was the first time people actually saw you play music that wasn't in church? That was music that you wrote or maybe covered.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I actually think, I think this was the first time I played this little music store in Monroe called Stan's Music, and it was me and you know my three homies that I was making music with at Who the are time. They? What are their names? Uh, Alex and Adam Smith. They were brothers, and Matt uh-huh. Um, We kind of lived in the same neighborhood, went to the same school, and. I think we were like the the few guys that were really interested in music at the time and um and you know so we we uh i guess you would call it a show we played a show yeah and we kind of like it was a rough one but it was uh but it was fun and we still have pictures of it and i think that was probably the first uh the first time i played music that wasn't on stage and wasn't like with a worship band or something so it was
0: what was the song of that that you were like this is pretty good i mean i should write another one uh- <laughs>
1: Uh, probably, none of, probably none of them. I don't know,
0: man. Um,
1: there was a song called Late Night that I remember that uh, our friends liked. and uh, what was the How does it go? Uh, yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Shoot, I don't know, bro. It's super simple. It was like, you know, something about those late nights, you know. Yeah. I don't know. uh. Don't 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 get it twisted. We're not going to dig up any gold here from in, from my 7th grade <laughs> this, year. This is the moment, man. But I but I love the effort.
0: <laughs> if this goes viral, then all of a sudden you're like, "Oh my god, I got to bring like, this thing I'm back." Bring my homies back, uh, man. Uh, when did you record for the first time?
1: Uh middle school, 7th grade, 8th grade. How did grade, you record? In our closet from the, from using like same way I record now. Basically yeah. <laughs> like in our bedroom yeah. in the closet with clothes, you know, our was our sound.
0: Who knew how to do that? Buffer. I mean, we, like, there was somebody in the room was like, oh, well, if you get this software, we could probably record some of this stuff.
1: I think it was, uh, I think it was, I mean, we all kind of dabbled with it, to be honest. I'm not sure yeah. who was the first to, like, yo, get this program. I remember my parents bought me a computer that was going to be, like, was, like, supposed to be better for, like, music stuff, you know. So they were they were definitely, like, an, an encouraging uh, factor in the whole thing. Um, but I think my friend Alex Smith probably had the program had the microphone first and and sort of the basic principles of let's get in the closet let's hang as many clothes around this mic as we can and you know
0: yeah
1: uh and it sounds pretty good you know in our opinion so we just kind of went from there and the fact that yeah I think it was just the fascination with being able to create something out of thin air whether we knew it at the time or not I think even looking back now I'm like man, what blows my mind today about songwriting still did like in yeah. seventh grade I just I think we didn't we didn't know why we loved it, but the fact that we could create a song and take it to our school and play it for our friends—it was just like this is pretty cool.
0: Did um, your brother was your brother encouraging? I mean, you guys were close in age. Did yeah, he but get he wasn't it, really. Or he doing like other things.
1: Nah, he was doing other things. Uh. He wasn't really into the. Were you guys stuff. close? Uh, yeah, we were close, but we had we had different interests, and we were like we were close, but we were just way different. Yeah. So. Yeah. um so, I, mean, yeah, I mean he just kind of rolled with his own, he kind of rolled the, his own drum, if you will.
0: Yeah. It's weird being like a new dad and thinking that, you know, your kids, they, they're their own people. Oh, yeah. And it's like, it's all it's mind wild. blowing that you can have two kids that are so close in age and they can be so wildly different. Oh, yeah. You know, um, when you were in high school, you know, I assume you graduated high school. And then where did you go after that?
1: I went to Belmont. I went to Nashville right so after. So you I graduated.
0: knew like I'm going to be, I'm going to be in Nashville, country, somebody.
1: Not really. I went to Nashville really? my senior year for like a field trip to to this conference called the Passion Conference. Um, and I was like, oh, this is a really cool city. I like Nashville. And then um, I actually wasn't going to go to college at all. I thought I'll just. I don't really like school. It's not for me. It wasn't for my dad. You know, I've, I've enjoyed, up to this point, I ran a car detailing business. And so I, uh, I kind of quit sports my 10th grade year and decided I'd rather work than play. So I started washing cars and working for myself and was making pretty good money. And I was like, I'll just keep like running my own business and I live in Monroe and just do my thing, you know. And uh, then I did a couple like college visits with some friends and I was like, oh, this looks like not high school and this looks like really fun and I might have major... I might have major FOMO if I don't go to college. And so I was like, I'm going to go to college. So I knew I wanted a business degree, but I was also, like, interested in music. And I figured my first thought was, like, what am I interested in enough to get me through four more years of school? Because I really wasn't into school. And so uh, music was one of those things. And I applied to Belmont because they had a music business degree. And they were, like, one of the only schools that did. And uh, I just said, well, if I get into this school, I'll I'll go here because... Chances are I won't get in, and I somehow got in and uh, decided. All right, I'm moving to Nashville, and I'm going to go to Belmont. And then uh, when I got to Nashville, is when I kind of learned, like, oh, there's like a profession called songwriting. Like, oh yeah, that's that's kind of what I think would be cool. And uh, but I didn't take I didn't take myself or my career choices too seriously at the beginning. You know what I mean? I was probably like a soft. I remember moving to Nashville, going to Belmont, and realizing like everybody here is so good that like. I'm just going to put my guitar away because this is not, like, I'm not going to stand out in this school with my music. So I just put it away, and I figured I'd stand out more if I didn't play music. And um, and I was just, like, the guy that hung out with everybody and rode my, rode my motorcycle around campus and just, like, you know, kind of goofed off. I remember the piece of advice my dad gave me before I went to college was uh, – He's like, I don't care if you pass all, or I don't care if you make straight A's, but I want you to know everybody in that school. So I want you to know everybody by name. And so, like, I was a pretty social guy, and I think that was really good advice. Looking back now, you know. Um, so, Why, anyways, all that, that to is, say, that's
0: re- that is really good advice. Yeah, and kind of contrary to what you'd expect, but that's that's right. probably the most. That's the advice you should give anyone in the music industry. Period is like remember names, know all the assistants, know all the interns, know because there will be bosses. Like know all of them. Yeah. Where did your that's so smart.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he was just always he was sort of maybe ahead of his time a little, but I just think he sort of you know he knew the he knew the same piece of paper that everybody was going to get at the end of the at the end of their college experience was gonna look the same no matter if you made straight A's or C's and so for me he was like look I want you to pass your classes and take them serious there's probably a lot to learn in there but I think you need to I think you need to know everybody at that school most importantly so so that was great advice and and uh did my thing and I would say my junior senior year I kind of got my guitar back out and thought all right like I'm gonna start pursuing this seriously if I want to be a songwriter when I graduate I need to start to work on my craft and uh I think the intimidation kind of went away, and, and I began to just, um, you know, accept I where how I was many, at.
0: how many of the people who showed up in school freshman year who were incredible, you know, those guys who could just rip on guitar. I'm sure a lot of them still are around. I'm not belittling that. But I would imagine that they didn't all pull from the same place because they you know, like you sometimes go to college because that's what you're good at, not because like you're passionate about it. and I imagine there are a lot of people who end up in music school that is sort of the next step in their music journey and not necessarily because I went and visited a school and was like this is the one thing that would make me go to college. Like those are different people. Versus, you right, know like, that's true and i I would imagine that that same thing that was intimidating when you were just starting out was probably the thing that made you really you know probably made you really successful yeah as you definitely know. and definitely what you helped. even the like the not taking it seriously in the beginning and being social and that stuff makes you a better songwriter, yeah, and if you're so serious about it. Right you're gonna be in that same like pot as the right. rest of the guys who are like desperate, to right and man,
1: there were some talented
0: uh who were some of the people in your class Because every you know Belmont every class has somebody in it, like who were some of the other people that were in your school that you were, that turned out to be like people you worked with later, oh man,
1: um. There's a guy named uh, Jason Nix who was like the first person I met when I went to college, and he's still doing his thing. And he's like, I've always looked up to him as a songwriter, a a guitarist, and a singer. He's super talented, Uh, and he's great, man. He's still rocking and rolling. I see him in Nashville all the time, and he's doing great things. And uh, So it's cool to see like the progression. I mean, we were both 18-year-old kids moving to Nashville, figuring it out, and now we're, you know, doing it for a living, it's really cool to see. But there's a lot. I mean, even Russell Dickerson, for example, somebody I went to school with, um, I believe he was in the music program, and he was like one of those guys that I'm just like, yo, his voice is so crazy and good. And like, man, like, you know, just looked up to him and uh, anyways, became friends and and have been really good friends ever since. And it's just fun to see to see our journeys, um, you know, kind of come up together, you know? We're sort yeah. of in the same class, and we now we get to be... In arenas and stadiums together at times, playing shows and sharing a stage and it's just uh it's really special.
0: Yeah, that's that's amazing. That stuff is really the priceless part of of going if if going to college is worth anything, that's probably right, it. No doubt. Uh. Hey, guys, there's a cool company called Sound Royalties that was founded about 10 years ago. They provide funding for music creatives without ever taking ownership of their copyrights. So think about it. It's like a bank, but they don't actually own any of your copyrights. All they need to do is see that you have a royalty stream. They don't need personal guarantees, collateral, financial statements, or credit checks. They work alongside publishers and labels, distributors, and PROs. They don't replace them. Again, all they need to know is that you have a royalty stream of at least $5,000 in a year, whether it's from mechanical performance, digital, streaming, sync, whatever it is. If you're interested in finding out more about Sound Royalties, call eight four 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 4 all music That's right. It's 844-4ALL-MUSIC to get started with Sound Royalties Call them today. BMI is the champion of the creator, supporting songwriters and making sure you get paid for your creative work. More than that, BMI has an incredible team that helps guide and develop songwriters, shows you how to navigate the industry, plus provides invaluable opportunities on stages and at festivals. Bottom line, they help you with your career at all levels, from those just starting out to the biggest hitmakers, just like they helped me out when I was just starting out and how they still help me out today. You can learn more at BMI.com. Hey, guys. I'm excited to say a few words about one of today's sponsors, Seeker Music. Seeker was founded and is run by one of my very dear friends, and repeat guest on And the Writer, is Evan Bogart. Evan is an advocate for songwriters. He is in charge of the songwriter wing of the Grammys. He's a trustee for the Grammys. He's just a good person. And so that kind of community and culture is what Seeker is based on. They acquire only the best catalogs and sign only the best humans. That's the kind of person Evan is in real life, and that's the kind of person that runs seeker so i recommend you go follow seeker on all their social media sites but go follow evan too and let them know how much you appreciate evan's work because of him we have songwriter of the year because of him we have songwriters added to the album of the year for the grammys and now he's got his publishing company that is a wonderful sponsor for our podcast so thank you again seeker and go check them out now So, I mean, I, you know, when you were in college, I know you had some personal tragedy with your, your father passing. How did that influence, you know, when you were saying in junior year was when you started taking songwriting seriously, it was probably around then just knowing your age, how much of that influenced being a songwriter?
1: Yeah. I'd say there was a, probably a pretty good shift around that time, and it was probably pretty heavily impacted by me losing dad. You know, um, I remember being like, kind of having to make a decision after he passed away. I was in Georgia, and I was like, all right, am I going to like stay in Georgia and take over his, he had a tree removal business, and uh, I would say it was sort of the family business in a way. I mean, it was, you know, I grew up working with him in the tree business some and sort of knew the business, and. I think mom helped run the books and all that, so it was sort of somewhat of a family business, and I just thought, you know, is, is this something I need to just stay home and take over and do, and I kind of knew, like, pretty much right away, like, I, I don't think that's what dad would want. He was always a big advocate of me chasing my dreams and a uh, big supporter of me in the music stuff, you know, and even as terrible as I was not in, in middle school, I just still felt like he was one of the biggest advocates for me, like, doing the music thing, and so I think at that point I was like, "No, what would he want me to do?" And he would want me to go back to Nashville and finish school and uh, and see where music takes me. And so, so yeah, I'm sure that impacted me in a big way. And I remember going back and and probably just having a little bit. I mean, anytime you have a, a major trauma or a big loss, you know, I think it kind of gives you a new perspective uh, on life. And I think for me, it was like, "All right, like, what am I? I'm not going to be able to just goof off and you know." Hang out forever. So, like, what is what does my future look like out of when I finish school, and what do I want to do? And if I don't want to run a tree business or a car washing business, then then what is it? And uh, and something he really instilled in me was was really hard work ethic, you know. And so I think I just channeled channeled that and uh, into the creative process and into the songwriting and into kind of pursuing a publishing deal out of college, and so. So yeah, I would say my junior, into my junior year, senior year is when I really kind of started writing consistently and trying to build up a catalog where I could go take meetings and be proud of some of the stuff I wrote.
0: What were the songs that you were proudest of that helped you get to that next level?
1: Um, well, my first cut was a song, before I had a publishing deal, was a song called Black Tears that um, Jason Aldean recorded. And uh, somehow he actually heard that song on MySpace. And reached out to me, believe it or not, and reached out to me on MySpace.
0: And you released it at that point. It was just. As a, Tyler, however. Tyler yeah, I mean, I was no, but I was
1: just like. Yeah, How Tyler did he Hubbard. hear it? Literally on MySpace. I think he might have had someone in his team like going through MySpace and looking for songs or something. I don't know if it was actually Jason, but. His team reached out and said, hey, uh, Jason, Al Dean heard your song called Black Tears and would love to record it. And I'm like, what?
0: Had like, you graduated Whoa. at this point? And at
1: that point, it was a voicemail. I remember, and I think they actually called, uh, I think we had like, a, at this point, I had graduated, yes. I was living with BK and Chase Rice and Tom Beaupre, who played bass for us, and then my buddy, Justin Rusick. We were living in the basement, and uh, we had sort of started a band and started really like pursuing the songwriting thing, and uh, and I think we had like a band line or something like that, like a landline, literally, because I think we used to we used to call clubs and act like we were book, the booking agent. So we had our own little landline, and that's the line they called and left a voicemail and said like Hey, I'm representing Al and he loves the song Black Tears, wants to record it. And uh, I remember BK called me and said, Bro, you're not gonna believe this, but Al wants to record your song, and so. So it was true it felt too good to be true, but sure enough, like he recorded it, uh, put it out, and that was my first cut. And so then I had a little bit of leverage to go in and say, Hey, I'm at least I at least have a little bit of attention here and uh hear some more songs and
0: sure What was year a lot is that? That's songs. like two thousand two thousand and
1: ten, yeah, probably yeah. so. I
0: mean that's the last era where you know, single or not, like if they release a song, it would generate some revenue, and you know it's like you could leverage that one song yeah. into a lot of respect, if nothing else. Right? You know, totally, totally. I mean, you could you still would get respect today if you had a Jason Aldean cut. You know, Um did you get to hang with Jason? Especially as
1: a no name writer that yeah, nobody, yeah,
0: knows about and that's living in a basement with a band that nobody knows yet. Exactly. You know, like. That's crazy Were the rest of the, did the rest of the band look at uh did they treat you differently at that moment where it's like, oh shit this is real
1: no I wasn't really like that yet it was a I mean that was just like a two-way song that I wrote with Kanan Smith back in the day like an old song It wasn't even like I think we played it some yeah, we did play it uh me and BK played it some together, but yeah we weren't even looking at our band as a band yet we were looking at our band as a way for people to hear songs to hopefully record them. You know, right. like it was basically a pitch band. Yeah, if there's a such thing, and so that was what we did for the longest time, and then it turned into like, well, maybe we should like stand up and then take these stools away, and then you know. Call so, some I clerks. didn't realize
0: that Chase was living with that. Like,
1: yeah, a he moved, when he moved to Nashville. He moved in with us.
0: That's and so weird. How did you know Chase? I mean, that's such BK like,
1: and Chase grew up together. That's so so crazy. then when he moved back from like South Carolina or somewhere, like working in NASCAR, he moved to Nashville. And it was either yeah it was after it was after that and after uh, that TV show he did and then he moved to Nashville and we were all wanting to, we were all pursuing songwriting he was like yeah that's what I want, I want to do this too so we just all chased it together it was
0: it's weird because you you assume outside that you know that there are groups of songwriters who are in Nashville and who are in LA in New York and London Stockholm wherever that are. Um, that don't function as well as the group you just mentioned. The group you just mentioned all ends up, they all end up with like hits. Do do you guys gravitate to each other because you guys are hit songwriters or is it a coincidence that this group of friends ends up having? I mean, it was definitely a
1: coincidence. You know, Chase was not a musician or a songwriter, nor was BK was a baseball player up until his senior year at Belmont. So like nobody, nobody would look at Chase, BK, or or myself, and say, "Oh, they're gonna be the, they're gonna, we're gonna hear them on the radio." Like, nah, that was not, that was not the vibe. So like, I think we just, I think a lot of that work ethic from their past too. You know, baseball history and Chase's athletic history. He played football at South Carolina slash worked in NASCAR and did Survivor. I mean, he had a lot of. So like I think all those experiences help you just become resilient and also determined and and and, and a hard worker. So uh, all that kind of played into it, you know. And I just remember when we just worked and worked and worked and weren't really going to take no for an answer and heard no a lot at the beginning and just kept kind of grinding and making ends meet. And uh, Chase had a little bit of I think he had a little bit of cash dashed away from Survivor, and so he didn't have to stress super hard and right away and we were just like let's just write songs until we till something happens you know
0: there's a there's a book called range from the guy who wrote moneyball and it's a it's basically a instead of a jack of all trades uh you know a master of none it basically says like a jack of all trades makes a master
1: mm.
0: you know, nice. and when you have those three life experiences that turn into successful songwriters it's because of those life experiences not right. in spite of. Yeah. I think there are a lot of people that think if you they dedicate 100% of their energy to one thing that that'll make them successful but it will often make them not you know myopic it'll make it hard for them to view the world right. and bring in those life experiences whether it's work ethic or it's actual the lyric life totally. things to bring those in. So I, it's not crazy as much as it's crazy you yeah, know right, um, you guys meet Joey Moy though pretty close to like after that you guys have a lot of music going on at that at that time, like Joey Moy is the biggest producer, certainly rock producer, one of them in the in the world. What enticed Joey to take you guys in is like, oh, we'll work with this guy, these guys before a record deal
1: uh, he saw us at a fair. And thought we were awesome.
0: <laughs> what fair
1: I don't even remember some fair in Tennessee, like two hours away, and I well, the same time that we signed a publishing deal with Big Loud, uh, that was the same time that Joey had partnered with Big Loud, and that was when all the uh basically the business was created around us to start uh, a company. Um, I think Joey had already been dabbling around and producing some stuff with Jake Owen. So there was already a little bit of infrastructure and like systems in place, and so we were just sort of like inserted into the equation. I think we sort of, we sort of, uh, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for when you get something that's passed down to you. We sort of uh, inherited, inherited. inherited Joey Moy through 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 nature of Big Loud, you know, and. It wasn't like BK and I studied every producer in town and thought he's gonna be the one that's gonna create the sound that's gonna make us big. It was just really by nature of, oh, this is where we wanna be uh, publishing wise. And we love Craig Wiseman and he's taken us under his wing. And Seth England has taken us under his wing and learning how to manage. And we're learning how to be managed and how to do this artist thing. And then, yeah, Joey's a partner. So we have a producer now. And so now we have a publisher, a manager, and a producer. <laughs> And at the time, being all under the same roof seemed like a great idea. Um, so we just rolled with it, you know, and, and Joey put in the work and, and taught us a ton and, you know, kind of put us through boot camp in a way and uh, studio boot camp, which was great. Learned how to sing, learned how to be in the studio um, I mean I remember the first album we made with him like we didn't understand that like Joey probably wants to like have his own time to do his own thing and BK and I just practically lived on the couch in the studio watching him just like do every little thing he does um and it it was a process but it was great we learned a ton and we did four albums with Joey and uh he's you know have a lot of respect for him and I have to give him a lot of credit for you know creating our sound if you will and helping us become who we Who we became as uh, you know, studio artist.
0: Yeah, shout out to Craig too, former alum of of, and the writer is and but that you know, uh, it's hard to be a songwriter and be a business person. Um, Clearly, you inherited that too. Uh, When at what point did you think I should help open doors for other writers? Because that became that was that's a big passion for you. You really are so good to the songwriting community but that's not for everybody
1: right no totally why
0: is that for you
1: uh i think multiple reasons you know one one being that you know somebody took a chance on me you know craig took a chance on me and and uh i didn't have a whole lot to show you know i just he just believed in me and uh taught me a ton and i thought man one day if i ever ever given the opportunity i'd like to repay that to you know, to people that I believe in and, and support up and coming writers. Cause a lot of these writers in Nashville, you know, we're chasing a dream and we don't have, you know, we're barely making ends meet. And so an opportunity like that is life changing. And so, yeah, it's been really cool. I've been patient and it's been fun to, to try not to force it. But when the opportunity does come and it's a writer that I love and it's somebody that, that I believe in and someone that I think this would be a good fit, I can actually, you know, um, kind of maybe mentor this writer or this seems like a writer that, that would uh, fit well for these opportunities that I may have or whatever the case is, um, it's been really fun and rewarding and fulfilling to kind of, um, I don't know, pay that back if you will and inspire young writers to you know, give them opportunities and it's been neat.
0: I always look at the writers who didn't do that and think, man that like what a different life you know, like you could make a choice of just being the guy just being the artist who shows up, you know, like you don't have to do that, and then once but once you go into it there's no going back because yeah. then you're like, oh man, this guy's talented and does something i don't do, and this woman's amazing, and she does something i don 't do, and you're just like then then you just oh man, that you fall in love with the the next generation and hopefully the generation after that, and it yeah. becomes like it becomes just as addicting as writing. You know? I would say
1: so. And in Nashville, you know, the co-writing thing is so big that, um, you know, for me, it's it's also about creating a culture around me that mm. that inspires me, and that you know, I mean, some days I come to work drained, you know, and I, and I show up and I'm with some of these writers, young writers that I love, and they they're full of energy and ideas, and I'm like, this is why. The same way I was probably feeding Craig Wiseman this new kid energy and this, you know, this hunger and this yeah. drive and this uh, determination. You know, I am seeing with the young kids, and it's it's great. And I always say the reason Craig Wiseman is still super relevant and still loving life is because he's continuing to um, hang out with the young kids and and learn from the young kids and let them inspire him. And as iconic and legendary as he is, uh, he also carries himself humbly and and, and likes um
0: being around the the young
1: yeah. talent and I think that's important.
0: It's you always tell young people to listen to your elders, but the if you want the key to having longevity in the music business, tell your elders to listen to the young people. That's right. They will that's what Great. keeps them going. I agree. When did you know there's there's you know, when you start recording music, you have a publishing deal, everyone sort of sees like, oh man, I could see you know, some people are starting to cut my songs. I've got these outside songs. Things are starting to happen. There's a difference between that and and having hits. When did you feel like you had the hit? And it, obviously, there's some really obvious parts to that question. But when? What are the moments where you're like, oh, I'm not just an aspiring writer. I'm not just somebody who's a publishing deal. I'm now going to be a player.
1: Yeah. Um, I think when it hit was. You know, when BK and I started Florida Georgia Line, like I said, I mean, we, we had big dreams, but ultimately I think it was just an outlet for us to get our songs heard. Um, And when we wrote and recorded Cruise and put that song out and it started getting some traction, we were, it was the summer of 2012, I believe, we were on the Country Throwdown Tour and uh, we were like the first band on the B stage at like two o'clock in the afternoon. and I remember fans showing up and going crazy and starting to really uh, connect with that song and me and BK looking at each other that summer and being like, yo, I think something crazy's happening, bro. Like, I don't even know. And at that point, uh, we just kept our head down and we told our our agency just to book us as many shows as we could play, and we did that. And we literally just worked so hard that I don't think we came up for air or to process what was going on for years to be honest but I do remember in 2012 looking at each other and being like bro this is about to pop and we could feel the energy building and we could feel it connecting and so it was uh it was just kind of on ever since ever since that song came out
0: the thing that's crazy though again it goes to like your character versus I think a lot of artists which is that that that's life-changing moments right that's the moment where you can dive into like I am I am my band and that's what I do. But you wrote hits during that time for other artists. That's what's kind of nuts is like how you can change how you can play all those shows and then still go into a room probably in Nashville that's not so dissimilar to what we're in right now and then write, you know, Cole Swindell and and Jason Aldean like you had hits the same year and the year after like you wrote the the weird things you wrote those during the biggest year of your career you wrote those songs for other people when did you have any time to do co-writing or is writing so deep in you that's like that while you're on the road all you want to do is go write
1: A little bit of both. I mean, at the time, I wasn't married and had zero kids. So I had all the time (laughs) in the world. Right. So like Monday through Wednesday, I was writing songs. Thursday through Sunday, I was on the road. You know, that was pretty regular week for me. And so I was still writing three songs a week, even in a real busy season. Um, And sometimes on the road, once we got to a bus, which was later on, but once we got a little bit more comfortable, we could set up and write on the road. Then we started, you know, one thing led to the next. You know, you're on tour with guys, you're like, yo, Cole, let's write a song. Hey, Luke, da da da. So, like, then collaborations happen and so other songs happen. So, we started seeing opportunities uh, as opposed to being held back by being on the road. We were like, nah, this is just an opportunity. Before you knew it, we had a whole tour bus of writers, you know, Tree Vibes bus that was out riding with me and BK and every writer, every artist on the tour. So, so it was an evolution. And I would say a lot of that has to still do with, um, the stars aligning i mean for all that to be going on at the same time and to be i mean you know how hard it is to to get a cut and much less a single so to to have some success in the publishing and writing world as well as the artistry was um was pretty was pretty amazing and uh you know but like i said i love to work and i had my head down and we were just like focused we also always sort of have understood the power of a song especially after cruise and we were like man it's and being songwriters first and foremost at heart, like it wasn't like, hey, we can we can we can slack up on songwriting because we got the artist thing going. It was really just like, well, the songs is what's feeding the artist side, anyways. Like we need to make sure we always prioritize songwriting before uh, the rest of it. So we've always kind of done that, and uh, fortunately for me, that's really one of my favorite parts of the creative process is writing songs, and so uh, it's always worked.
0: Yeah, that's this is so unique to what you guys. As you guys being like the the that elite class of Nashville writers love it so much that when they're on the road and they're off of doing a show, they're not getting rest, they're in a studio. Like that is so unique to there's no there's it's not like you're out at a party, although I'm sure you do that too. But uh, you know, it wasn't really about that. If you're on the road, you're using those after hours to write your next album. And to be honest, like even following up a hit like Cruz has like, you know, you could, you could easily have been a, a one-hit wonder had those other songs not been written and had you not continued that work ethic, you know. But obviously, Dirt, Holy, these are huge records. Um, did you start thinking it was easy? Uh, yeah, probably. Did that change how you wrote?
1: Uh, no, not really, but I definitely took it for granted. Like I took, I took for granted how many stars had to align for number one to happen. How many, how, how many people and how many phone calls and how many hours somebody was putting in, you know what I mean? And how many relationships and, and, uh, yeah, because there for a while it was just number one after number one after number one. And all we were doing was just what we love and playing shows and showing up for the number one parties and, Calling radio stations and making our visits and doing our thing, and you know it was. Um, I don't say that in a, in an egotistical way. I really say it in a humble way of like you know. I, for a while there, my I was pretty. I had on my eyes were pretty blurry. You know, I was like, man, this is. I wasn't seeing super clearly everything that had to go on to make this happen for us. You know, and 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 I've even told people recently, like I don't know if I processed our success or processed our success until like the pandemic even. So that's. 12 years later, almost, you know, uh, so it's pretty wild, especially now, you know, you have a few that don't work, you have a few singles that are, that are more difficult, that people, that the label's saying, hey, bro, like, we need y'all to do X, Y, and Z, and we're like, whoa, we need to do what? Like, I thought this just happened, I thought it was just like, yo, so, so, yeah, I would say over the years, we, we learned, like, okay, like, this is, uh, this is not just, this is not just happened, you know what I'm saying, and so, uh, so we learned to be extra grateful and uh, continue that that work ethic that we always leaned into. And, and even today, man, after the pandemic and after, uh, you know, learning what I've learned and having everything I've loved taken away from me for a while there in 2020 when the pandemic hit, like we all kind of dealt with, I just, I'm really grateful now for that new perspective and that extra layer of gratitude on top of everything, whether it's, even a top 10, you know, I'm just like, hey, I'm just grateful to be on the chart at this point. I have a whole new perspective and I think a really healthy perspective on 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 music and the whole business and um just the fact that it's just such a blessing to even be in the game. So,
0: you met your wife during this time and there's also like an interesting time in your discography. I always think it's interesting to see when, you know, you had all these cuts coming out, you know, especially cuz as an artist, you're releasing albums, you know, so right. much music being released. And then you have like a, you have, I wouldn't say like a lull, but between after Dirt and after you know some of these that next album, there's like this kind of break. I mean, in 2015 isn't like a flood of records, but it's also when you start really, you know, seems like you you start becoming a human outside of being in a band. Is that all coincidence? Is that purposeful?
1: Oh, it was pretty purposeful, I would say, um, but also coincidence. You know, I mean, I remember when I met Haley, I was sort of getting to a point in my personal life where I'm like, all right, like I'm kind of ready to meet someone who uh, I can settle down with, and someone who loves me for for me and not and not for being in a band or or having a hit. Or <laughs> I could feel the difference. I could feel the changes starting to happen with people I was hanging out with, and I could just tell, like, all right, like. I don't know what it's like to be famous. I don't know what it's like to have lots of money or be successful or whatever the case may be. But if that is the tra- trajectory of my future, like I want to find someone who keeps me grounded and someone who loves me for who I am. And so, but I really wasn't, I still didn't have the time to look for that. I was sort of just, I think it was subconscious, like that was just my desire. And, and uh, when I met Haley, we, we stayed friends for a long time. We kind of ran around the same circle. And, and i was like man we we had a really cool foundation of friendship and then we sort of fell in love and and uh so it was it felt like uh it was very anointed if you will very much uh very timely um and then it was a pretty big shift for me too because i had seen you know i think i was starting to process the fact that okay i'm going to be like an artist and and i'm going to do this long term and this is not a one off and this is going to be my life and so like what do i want this this to look like and you hear all the stories of people falling off and drugs and addiction and, and, you know, all the things that were super conducive can, uh, around and, um, it can, and I could easily see like where this lifestyle can easily turn into, um, problematic, you know, Mm -hmm. relationally, personally emotionally
0: who is was this all self-discovery or uh, this, yeah is mean, just, somebody helping you see it
1: no every time you get together with somebody and they tell you a crazy story or it's just self-discovery because you're just like oh well i can see that i could easily see how that happened that's crazy but i can see how that could happen you know and then you're like how many stories was i hearing about oh this artist has tons of success and also has a successful marriage and and a great home life and he seems to be pretty happy and he has a good balance with alcohol and you know you don't really hear that story often so for me again like almost going back to college where it's like what is everybody else doing i'm gonna do the opposite so like i really had a drive and a desire to be like yo i want to be one of the most successful artists out there and have a successful marriage and have a good home life that i get to come home to after after this weekend you know and so that was a, that, began, that began to be a really big priority for me, especially right after I met Haley, and it was just like, alright, this, wow, uh, this is the girl that I see myself being with forever, and I can see this life with her, you know, and so that began to be a goal for me, and uh, you know, up until now, I do take a lot of pride in the fact that, man, like, not only do I get to be on stage and playing in front of tons of people and living a really cool life and getting to do what I love, the best part of it now is getting to come home and, you know, Hang out with the family and see the kids, and you know have a healthy marriage, and, and you know try to be a good dad, and all those things that really make life so sweet. So, so yeah, all that to say, I think I made a conscious decision at some point to just like keep a good uh, keep good people around me, have accountability, uh, make sure I did some self checks every now and then, um, and just just to maintain that that focus and that goal.
0: A lot of people say that when you have your first kid, you know, or when you have kids, that that then your career really kind of like starts to have a different focus. And um, after you had your first kid, you know, you have another number one song with Jason Aldean. Like, not that that's not a big deal for you at this point, but it wasn't your first. It just happens. But then you start having like you have. You know, really, maybe the biggest song of, you know, country billboard history with Meant to Be, which is written after you're, you know, comes out a little bit later, but it's written after you're like now a dad. Is that a coincidence again, or is it, is it, is it sort of a focus? You know, I've talked to BB about that song separately, and it's like, it was, seems like it was a really natural day in the studio, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, Did having a family at home allow you to write differently in a room? Or is Um, how do you have the biggest song in country, (laughs) you know, Billboard history?
1: Dude, I don't know, man. I mean, that song, if I was putting my money on it, I would have never thought that song would be the one, to be dead honest. And so... Why? It just didn't feel like it was anything special to me. I just felt like, oh, this is another cool song. Like... I don't know, dude. I just never did. I never thought it was the one that was gonna be the biggest song ever. If just, you were uh, to look at it now, what what was it about the song? I don't that? know, dude. I think it was just the simplicity or the or the or the authenticity or the collaboration with the voices. I don't really know what the what the secret sauce was on that song, to be honest. Um, but I did learn that, you know, it's okay to write simple songs. It's cool to be repetitive. Um, I do remember telling BB that night, like, When we met in the studio she thought i was little big town and i didn't know who bb Rexel was and so we we got to know each other pretty quickly and then we started writing a song and she thought she was gonna write a country song i obviously thought i was trying to I was in la so why would i want to write a country a country song and uh i finally just said look you let's just write something let's you be you and i'll be me and let's not try to like force anything let's just write something fun and something you know so we just that one kind of fell out pretty quickly and then uh and then sat around for a while, and she ended up putting it on her EP, which if you go listen to the EP, it's like six hip-hop songs and then meant to be at the end. So it doesn't make any sense. And that's why I just sort of thought this is just going to be like, you know, whatever. It'll just yeah. be out there it's in the just world. A, it's just a it's cut. Just one of the other cuts, yeah. yeah. And then it started getting some traction, maybe because it was so unique on her project. And then uh, it got a lot more traction. <laughs> and then we were like, well, maybe we should put it out as a single, you know? Um, 'Cause it was doing so well and we did and it did great and just kind of kept getting gasoline poured on it and uh ended up being a huge song. But again, that's why you just you never know with music, man. You never know a songs you can predict. You can think you got the biggest song in the world, or or a song that probably won't move the needle, and you never know what's gonna happen. So I one thing I learned from that is just to show up. I mean, I remember that that right was our second rite of the day. It was eight o'clock, it was after dinner. We got a phone call during dinner saying that um because we were supposed to write with Charlie Puth, I think that night actually, and he had to cancel, and so we we're like, "All right, we'll just chill. We won't write tonight." And then we get another call. It's like, "Hey, this girl BB Rexa, is available. Would you want to write with her?" And we were like, "Yeah, why not?" So we went back to Sunset and wrote, and that was where that song was born. But um, to answer your question, I mean, I would say I take I take uh, inspiration from life. You know, my songwriting a lot of times is from from my own life experience, and sometimes not, but. Uh, Having kids, having a wife, having a having a life that's really full of uh, a lot of great emotions and love and frustration as well, and all the things that come along with being a parent. You know, I mean, it's I definitely take a lot of that into my songwriting, and um, you know, whether you want to or not, I just think it's part of who, who you are is what's going to come out in the songs a lot of times. You know, well,
0: certainly in the solo stuff, you really hear right. the storytelling in a way that feels like. I'm let in on what's going on. Not that I right. didn't with the FGL stuff, but like you listen to it it's and it feels like, it yeah. yeah. Um, what is it about Jason Aldean? Why does he keep cutting? Like, why do you guys have this relationship?
1: Dude, I don't know, man, but I'm thankful for it. I think there's certain voices that he gravitates towards and fortunately, I think I'm one of those voices and uh, I think with each single becomes more and more trust, you know, and uh I think I understand Jason pretty well, and he understands me at least musically. And I think it's just worked, you know. I think we've had five number ones to uh, on Jason, and so f- for, like I said, I think just uh, that consistency and that comfortability with him, and knowing me, and and uh, and like I said, him leaning towards my voice and stuff. Um, and I think he does a really good job of bringing those songs to life, and putting his own thing on it and, and, and making it uh, an Aldeen song. so and, and I grew up being a big Aldeen fan so for me to get that phone call as <laughs> whatever year that was in 2010 that he was gonna cut one of my songs it was uh, probably my probably would have been one of my top picks for uh, you know an artist to cut my first song.
0: So you have you know you come off another hit. you now have a, a wife, you now have a family. Everything is moving the way you, I think you'd assume, like that perfect musician's life could be. Um, The pandemic happens a little bit after this, but FGL is a huge part of your life. You know, your relationship with BK was a huge part of your musical journey. Why would when it seems like everything's going right, why stop?
1: That's a good question. Uh, Well, we were forced to stop, obviously, with the pandemic. Um, We had everything booked and locked and loaded, and we we were actually on a trip in Africa together, um, four of us, and we got word that, hey, bro, when y'all get back, things are going to look a lot different. And we're like, what do you mean? Like, there's a pandemic happening, and the world's shutting down. And we're like, what? And so we got back. We got on an airplane. The flight that we were booked to go back, we got on that flight, and it was the last flight out of Johannesburg. Then they were shutting the airport down. So, like, somehow we got really fortunate, got back to the States, and, yeah, I mean, it was like, oh, okay. We processed what was happening, and then we realized, like, okay, like, everybody's canceling tours. So we canceled our tour. We kind of did what everybody had to do and it was just like all right well i guess this will be like a what two week thing and we'll get back after it in a minute and then it's like six months goes by a year goes by and then you're like all right so um so i'm going to get to the rest of it but that that was kind of like the first like punch like oh okay it's not going as we expected right we're supposed to be on tour right now we're not doing anything um at the time I was just like, well, this is nice cuz like I'm sort of like down for a break. This is kind of cool. I can just write a lot and I don't have, you know, be with the family. My wife was pregnant again, so I was like this is this is cool. Then like year 2, I'm like I'm this is not cool. Like I'm really ready to go play. Um <clears throat> and at that point BK came to me and said, "Hey dude, like I've been writing some songs um that feel really personal and I really feel like Oh and the, and also during this time we put out our fifth album and it was the last album on our record deal so we were kind of in this interim phase of like are we going to sign another record deal or actually we hadn't put out the album but we were going to I think it was in February of 2021 um so we so before we put out the album you know we were sort of i guess thinking about what's next and BK came to me and said dude I really want to do a solo thing um, and my, kind of my response was sort of what you just said, like, wh- wh- why, like, wh- like, we're just now getting to where we've always wanted to be, bro. Like we can own our own music. We about to sign another deal if we want to, we can like get whatever deal we want. We can do it. And we worked so hard to get here. Like, why are we going to start over? And he just really felt. That it was what he needed to do, and he was excited about it, and he's he just like, I really want to do both. I want to do a solo career and still do FGL. And I said, well, dude, for me, I, I want to support you and what you need to do, but like, I, I, can't, I don't have the capacity to do both. Like, I need 100% commitment or no commitment. Like, I can't do both. And so, But I said, it's your choice. Like, You know where I stand, solo artists or FGL. I'm down for either. But if you if you do the solo thing at the time, I was like, I'll just be a songwriter and I'll just put the artistry on the side. But um, I don't want to have a partner who's only halfway committed to me. And so, um, so he chose to do the solo thing, called me a couple weeks later and said, I really, you know, I appreciate the support. This is really what I feel like I need to do. And so I'm going to do it. And I said, all right. So he did his thing. I wrote songs in Nashville for probably like eight months, just mentally thinking that's what I would do. And, kind of a little bit envious of the Nashville songwriter schedule and, you know, just stay at home dad, work from like 11 to 4, go back home, be around all the time. I thought this is really nice, and I really enjoyed this. And I did for a little while, and then I just sort of, I don't know what it was, probably just time and everything. I was like, I really miss playing shows. I really miss making records and, uh, you know, maybe... Maybe I understand where BK is coming from. I'm starting to feel the same pull. I'm starting to feel this like, man, I, I got some stories to tell. I got my own story to tell. We've been doing it in within a band for 12 years, but never had the opportunity to be a individual or be a person. And so I, you know, I kind of get why BK wanted that, and and I kind of want it too now. So I sort of made the decision, like, all right, I'll I'll do this only if I can get a team around me that i feel supported and i really started praying about that around that time and being like yo like i felt really alone at that point as far as like you know career-wise and around that same time i randomly met gary borman in sun valley idaho out of nowhere um through a mutual friend and kicked it with him and started getting to know him and telling him my story and and uh we just really connected and aligned almost instantly and and uh Long story short, I asked him if he'd be willing to take me on as a client and, and help me rebuild, you know, and, and help me start this new new chapter. And um, he was willing to do that and introduced me to his team and we all hit it off really well. And then they introduced me um, you know, to some other people. We started taking meetings around town with labels and figuring out what that looked like. And I found a home at Universal and it's just been it's been incredible. I mean, to, to now I feel super supported. I have a team around me who's um, align on many, many levels and it's just really nice. It feels good. And so, so yeah, I've, uh, this new season I'm stepping into or have been stepped into now for a little while was was unexpected, but also, uh, looking back now in hindsight, it's like, wow, like I'm really thankful for it. You know, I'm really glad to be here. I feel re-energized, um, creatively and, uh, just there's a new excitement around this whole thing. There's also a new challenge, you know. I think I really thrive in this, like, in the building phase or maybe the the challenge phase. Um, and I heard a lot of times, like, why would you, why would you ever leave FGL? Like, you can't re- ever redo what FGL did. This is da 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 da. And there's no way, you know, it never works when you leave a band. Everybody's tried it, and it's really, you know, it's pretty rare that it's possible, and it's never really happened in our genre and all these things that I kept hearing. And I'm just like. You guys, you're doing the opposite of what you're trying to do here. You're if you're trying to make me want to do FGL, you're really making me want to take this new challenge that everybody thinks is impossible. And so so it's been really fun to to take it on and uh I think it's just re energized me. So
0: when we wrote not that long ago, we were talking about how you know nobody's really had a number one coming out of the band situation. I mean you 've had super groups in country it's like highwaymen highway women you have these like classic things where it's solo is coming together but it's a different thing when you have the you know these bands where somebody steps out and does something solo um, and and we were saying how how that's the challenge and it wasn't like we wrote that long ago well now you've when I said in the intro like you rung the bell you have a number one song now as an artist Uh you did it. You did the challenge. You and you did faster, probably than you know, maybe not faster than what you thought, but faster than what other people thought because they thought it couldn't even be possible. Shout out to Gary Borman, great manager. Yeah. You know, but um, you did it. You earned that. What is uh, what's next when you like? What's the next challenge? Then is it now to sustain that? Is it? Do you dive into something different? Like what happens when you reach a goal that fast?
1: Well, that's just one goal, you know. I mean, one number one is uh, only as strong as the is the number one to follow it, you know. And and so, yeah, I didn't look at that look at it as all right. We got our number one. We've done it. I look at it as like all right, first stage, like check. There's like twenty more. You know, it's yeah. like I, when I say rebuild, like I really um, envision like rebuilding this solo thing like to the same scale that FGO was, and and uh, it took ten years the first time. So I you know, this is not going to happen overnight. And I'm trying to be patient and uh, just continue the the journey. You know, I'm really, and I'm also, this go around really trying to enjoy the journey. Um, I'm going to go back and play some clubs this year. And uh, I've played a few already that have just re-energized me. And it feels like, man, this is so fun. And I don't know if it's because it's nostalgic and I've been here before, or if it's this new, uh, I haven't experienced the the small intimate rooms in a while and it just feels special, man. It feels, um, I don't know. It just I'm just it's something that never would have been able to be uh felt within the confines of FGL. You know, even if we had reinvented ourselves in some way. I feel like this is the the reinvention. Why, why couldn't that have I just think just the dynamic would have been so when you take a when you when you switch the dynamic up so much, it's uh it's sort of inevitable that it's gonna be so different, it's going to feel new, right? But within within the same band, it's just it. I've you know I find it really hard to reinvent yourself and and feel that new energy, um, especially to the level that I've been feeling it. And so, so yeah, just enjoying where I'm at and doing um, do some fairs and festivals this year and and some headline shows as well. But I just really look forward to the next five years of building and seeing seeing where it goes and. Seeing how many singles I can uh, push up the charts, and also, you know, it's fun kind of building the hard t- the hard ticket again, you know, and seeing how many people you can put in uh, a club, and seeing where it can go
0: from there. It's so interesting because you mentioned the things that you mentioned that make you sort of happiest in the process. Isn't the result of the number ones? It's you're on you're on tour, playing in stadiums for. 10 years and it's the writing on Monday and Tuesday or Sunday, Monday, whatever it is on the schedule. It's, you know, there's the pandemic and you're doing the Nashville life and it's writing songs. And then it's, you know, um, it's putting music out there and it's playing in club, you know, and playing in clubs, not, you didn't say like playing, you've played stadiums, man. You didn't say that you say like you play in front of a club and it's like but it's songs that are you and it feels you play in front of three hundred people or a thousand people and you feel free that's gonna be that's just as rewarding as playing in front of a stadium where you feel like you're doing it to get it done you know right. and I'm not to say you were doing that it's not like you said that but so I don't want to put words in your mouth but it's really interesting that the things that this go around, as you're saying, that feel really satisfying are achievable already, regardless of the number ones, regardless of whatever you push up the charts. That's fun. That, that's part of the game. But all the, like, the real happiness in it comes from that playing songs you like, whether it's for right. 300 people totally. or for, for 20,000 at a fair. Right. you know it's gonna be like the it's gonna be the fact that you're releasing you know five foot nine and, right yeah you know, it's, like, it's also like uh the first time around all
1: I was seeing was the top of the mountain you know all I want to do is get there get there get there like you, you you sort of like tunnel vision past all the other great things going on you're just looking you're just hiking and you're just seeing the top when like right now I'm like stopping and taking a picnic you know what I'm saying and looking at the animals around me and like Looking at the view from halfway up the mountain too. And and yeah, it's a view that we could have went back down the mountain and saw, but we would have had to sacrifice lots of ticket sales. Financially it wouldn't have made much sense. Like, you know, it would have had to only be because we wanted to do that out of nostalgic or whatever. But like now it's like, no, this is where I'm at. This is, you know, I'm starting over. I have one single or one album out. Like, so it's sort of like I'm getting to enjoy this without having to take a huge cut. And also knowing like I'm gonna to get to the top of the mountain again. But like there's no rush. Like let's just enjoy it this time. Cause I've been there before. I know what it's like. It's not as uh it's great, but it's not the funnest part of the journey. So like I'm really just trying to enjoy, take my time. Cause it's like the funnest part is getting there. I know that sounds super cliche, but I'm in I'm in it and I'm loving it, and I'm loving it more than sitting on top trying to figure out how to stay there next year. So it's it's been I mean, fun.
0: That's wisdom, man. That's that's because you've earned that thanks, that perspective and you have a family now that's three kids deep that can travel with you so mm-hmm. like those things are cuz you've earned it not because thanks, it's you weren't born that way
1: thanks dude yeah it's a good it's a good grounding man it's a good good to come back on the bus and have three little kids excited to see you man it's really yeah it's the best
0: all right, we're going to go to the next segment, which is five for five. I'm going to name five things, and you just tell me what comes off the top of your head. Okay. Uh, we're going to start with Belmont. Okay. Just tell me anything. Whatever Belmont. Comes off the top of your head.
1: Ooh. I'm going to go with uneducated, because I was very <laughs> uneducated at Belmont. Uh, and, yeah, anyways, I don't know why that came off. Uh, like I had a, lot, a couple other words that might have been inappropriate, but let's just go no, with that. We'll,
0: go, we'll do that. Um, okay. Okay. Uh,
1: we're and gonna, not because of Belmont's education. It's just because of my personal it's, it's choice. Let's
0: yeah. go. Cool. Um, we're going to go with Joey Moy. Okay. Let's go with... We can the, go with Big Loud. No,
1: let's go That's, with the uh, Big Loud. Um, we, let's go with Joey Moy. Right. And I'm going to say the great pusher. Because he will push you to be better. Whether you ask him to or not. BK. BK. Um, let's go with, uh, oh man, let's go with creative.
0: Let's go with Haley. Haley. Grace. Oh, that's pretty. I like that. Your dad. Uh,
1: let's see. Let's just, uh, let's go with Inspiring.
0: Well, I appreciate you doing this. Um, you know, uh, what's fun about this is I feel like we're having this first interview at the beginning of your career. Right? That's you cool. know, you happen to be a guy who is in a band that had a lot of number ones. You've written a lot of num- 20 number one songs now, but like you've had one number one in this new endeavor. And I feel like this is totally something where in three years from now when we sit down and get like oh man this album like well we tried this thing and it was crazy and this album we tried this and it was crazy in a in a totally different way and but all the choices are going to be yours and you know there are a lot of people rooting for you you're part of the songwriting community because you commune with the songwriting community because your dad was right because you became friends with a lot of people and you text them and you say hi and you're friendly to everybody and so they want to be friends with you so it's you know the success that you're having isn't just because you're very talented it's because people are rooting for you and because they, they're they want you to succeed so it's fun to be part of that crew both as a co-writer and as a you know as a friend Um it's cool to watch this you're you're just you're just beginning you're, thanks, dude. you're just a kid who's is just had his first number one hit yeah so. man
1: i got to be the first guest on this podcast it's just <laughs> put out his first album right i yeah. mean come on no but thanks for uh thanks for all the kind words man thanks for chatting with me and uh it's been awesome man i'm feeling more inspired than ever and uh i love talking about it so thank you <laughs>
0: This episode is produced by Joe London, Hypnosis, Mega House Management, and myself. See you all next week. I'm Ross Golan, signing off.